0: Welcome to DScoped, the payment security podcast, the go to show from VGS for fintech product builders and leaders. You're about to hear a conversation from experts in
1: payments, issuing, and data security, sharing their best practices and real world experiences. Let's dive in.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to DScoped. I'm Megan Powers, part of the marketing team here at VGS. As season two continues to roll out, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today with a strong female leader in the fintech space, along with a newer member of the product team here at VGS. Welcome to the show, Nicole Jass with Prove and Samir Patwari with VGS. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you for having us, Megan.
2: Of course. So Samir is my internal friend, Co host, sidekick extraordinaire on this one. It's been fun having a um, teammate roll out this season with us. So let me read your bios. Nicole Jass is chief product officer at Prove. Prior to joining Prove, Nicole served as the senior vice president of growth solutions at FIS, a global fintech leader headquartered in Jacksonville, Florida, where she was responsible for driving strategy and execution of high value, high growth product portfolios in fraud, identity, loyalty, data science, and checkout. Prior to joining FIS, Nicole was the founder and CEO of Spiderlink, a mobile advertising technology company. Samir Patwari is Senior Director of Product Management at VGS. Prior to joining VGS, Samir served as Head of Product Strategy at Riskified, a global payments fraud leader, headquartered in New York, New York. At Riskified, Samir was in charge of new product strategy, corporate development, and partnerships. Prior to Riskified, Samir was product management leader at Amazon's Kindle division, leading multidisciplinary product and tech teams. Fantastic. So we are in good hands today. I'm excited for this conversation. And really, this is, it's an interview style show, but we want it to be more than anything, a conversation. So feel free to dive in and comment and ask other questions as we go. And uh, all right, let's get started. All right. So I began my career working as a technical writer for software companies, where I didn't see many women in leadership on the product side. And as like you know as a tech writer I was part of the the dev team. So for me it's awesome to see a woman in the role of chief product officer. So Nicole can you tell us about your journey to get to this point in your career and to add on to that is there anything that you would change if given the
0: chance? Sure, yeah. So so I guess probably where to maybe start is when I was in high school and, and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, right? Which we all certainly got it figured out and, and nailed it and and took the path that we had planned on taking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my mom told me to go be an engineer. And I didn't really have any other great ideas. And it, it seemed like, okay, I'll go figure out what this engineering thing is. And yes, there weren't very many women in my in my classes in, in engineering school, but it was definitely who I am at heart, right? Just learning how to build things, wanting to, having curiosity to take things apart. So I got a a degree in architectural engineering, went out. My first job was very, very technical as an optical engineer. And I would figure out how to get lights out of light fixtures and make the right patterns to light exteriors, to light interiors. It it was a fun job. But at, at my first job, I think what the pivotal moment was when they figure out that you're a nerd who can talk, you, uh, uh, you get asked to talk, right? And you get asked to help sales talk about products and marketing. And, and that was probably when I first started to kind of understand what product was, was really that understanding and knowing how in, uh, to build things, but being able to also understand the business side, the sales side, how to tell the story for a product. And so that was kind of my early days. I, I pretty early on, though, I loved engineering, loved technical, have tremendous curiosity about how things work. But I also just wanted to, I wanted to run my own company someday. And happened upon that with uh, someone that I had worked with. And we had a crazy idea to put coded logos on things like magazine ads or print ads, and be able to use your razor phone at the time to be able to take pictures and, and text them and and thought, gosh, you know, you're, you get interested in something and you have no way of like interacting with the brand because at the time we weren't all walking around with smartphones. We didn't have a tablet. It really was a razor phone. And so started the company and learned a ton. I was 25 when I started the company. Raised money. Told my parents I needed a static IP and some servers in their basement, and I was moving in. I mean, lit- literally the whole the whole journey. Yeah, raised some money. It was it was 10 years. Didn't had no idea really at the beginning of what I was getting into. Which was a good thing because when you're just chasing something and chasing an idea and continuing to be skeptical but chasing it, as we, as we continue to find out that there was opportunity and and worked with brands like you know Bud Light, Coke, Coors Light, Glamour magazine, Procter and Gamble, worked with some great advertisers, put lots of what we called snap tags on their advertising and and made those connections. You know, like I said, learned a lot. We were early to the market, kind of had. Facebook came along while we were running the company. iPhones came along while we were running the company. So lots of of change and pivots. And and I think looking back, you know, you just learn to be scrappy. You learn to pivot. You learn to really listen to customers to make sure that what you're building is is what they find value in. At the end of at the end of Spider Link, sold the company to strategic investor. Not the kind of sale that you get to sit on Hawaii on the beach in Hawaii for the rest of your your life, but great learning experience and I went to work for a company at the time called Vantiv. Vantive was a merchant acquiring company largely. And that was about seven years ago. And at Vantiv, I followed data to Vantiv because my, you know, what I kind of a bit of my passion is just really around data and, and what you can do with data. At the time I was leveraging data for marketers. When I joined Vantiv, the idea was we have lots of transaction data, payments data. Can you help us figure out how to unlock that for our customers? And when I joined Vantive and started building what a shopper profile might look like, and that I can see Megan shopping at Nordstrom's and Walgreens and and I can see her picking up her groceries because I can connect her card around these different places. I said, Is there a fraud team around here? Because they'd probably be pretty interested in this data that we're and this picture we're starting to build about Megan, in case sometime it's not her transacting with a card. And so that's what quickly led me into not just looking at data for Vantiv, but fraud, data, and then loyalty. Fast forward seven years, two huge acquisitions, Vantiv bought WorldPay, and then FIS bought bought the then combined company. I was then, like you mentioned in, in the bio for FIS, leading a team of 250 product folks across loyalty, fraud, checkout, identity, getting to look at both merchant acquiring and issuing through those lenses. And... I do to this day believe those are things that ought to be stitched together. They they seem like kind of different product groupings, but if you think about a journey and a life cycle of you know acquiring a customer through maybe a loyalty program or getting them into a loyalty program, having them transact, making sure it's not fraudulent, those things really do tie together. And as I was, you know, looking across that, I don't know, six, six, nine months ago happened upon prove and the rest they say is history i was really excited about prove and 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 being in the identity space i think we'll talk about that in in a bit but that's kind of the journey of how i got to where i am i think you know following data following curiosity definitely led me into product management and that entrepreneurial spirit i think you asked what i would change uh probably nothing's the right answer you know i i learned a ton and there's a lot of sleepless nights when i was an entrepreneur and Part of me says I'd go back and say, hey, don't worry, like things are going to work out when you're driving home worrying about how you're going to make payroll as, as a CEO of a startup company. But at the end of the day, I think getting your feet to the fire and that worry is what what helps you learn things pretty quickly. So I probably wouldn't change much, but it's been a pretty crazy journey.
2: Wow. What a story. I love that. There's so many things you said. I was like, oh, I thought of something. Well, you know, with the loyalty thing, I just kind of laughed because I, I often put my cousin's phone number in because it's the one I can remember. <laughs> yeah. And it just hit me how much I must have messed up the data <laughs> for for the two of us, right? For, for like, what is, you know, me buying things that she would never buy? <laughs> anyway, kind of funny. But um, being a CEO is, it, it's a hard job, right? And, and it's so big picture and visionary. In a startup, it's a little bit more like you're also an implementer, you know, versus just being a visionary. But as chief product officer, what a cool opportunity that is to, to focus and to, like you said, to still be connecting the dots, right, between what you're doing for the customer and how you may be helping marketing and sales and all that kind of good stuff along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Just making sure that the at the end of the day, we're here to drive customer value and that we're, we're close to customer. And, right. and I also think that I just have this mindset that product is, you're the CEO of your product. And I think that, you know, that comes from that being that entrepreneur, but that's where does the product's job start and stop? It doesn't stop anywhere, right? And, and we we work with a lot of people along the way and can't get anything built without the engineering team and, and can't get anything marketed without the marketing team. But at the end of the day, it is that full accountability that I do believe in from a product standpoint.
2: Yeah, for sure. Samir has the next question for you. I just want to say that I love the name of your company, Prove. I mean, I instantly was like, when we started talking about what you guys do, I'm like, prove it. Yeah, prove who you are. Yep. <laughs> Samir, what's your, what's your question for Nicole?
1: Thank you, Nicole, for sharing your journey. It was fantastic learning more about you. Now, we would love to learn a little bit more about Prove. We know you want to provide a frictionless customer experience while still providing security. Can you tell us more about this and maybe take it a step further and talk about who your ideal customer is?
0: Sure. Yeah, I would love to. So as I mentioned, I don't know, six, seven months ago, I was sitting at FIS and I had an awesome perch to just see all kinds of fintechs and companies across the payments landscape, fintech landscape. And I remember being on a call at the time with our CEO, Roger, and we're just learning about different companies. And he started talking and I was like, hang on. You're telling me you can lights out, figure out that it's Nicole on Nicole's phone when I'm doing a transaction, when I'm signing up for something. And he he took me through it. And I said, that's game changing, right? Because all these other models in the fraud space are all probabilistic. We're all like trying to figure out the likelihood that this is Megan or the likelihood that this is Samir. And this is this is weird that he's putting a watch in his cart for two thousand dollars at two in the morning. So decline it. Right. That's a weird behavior. But When you can figure out that it's Samir on Samir's phone at two in the morning, put a watch at his cart, you should probably accept it because it's him. And so it really is game changing when you can start to leverage like Prove does a phone, which I guarantee you guys both probably have within arm's reach. I know my phone is within arm's reach. It's kind of like a security blanket. And so that's what Prove really does. And you can think of it like the trust layer for the internet. And, you know, when I go sign up for an account or I go to log in somewhere the idea is that the company is having to trust that it's me and trust that I'm a good person with good intentions. And when I come back to log in, that it's me again, right? It's not Megan trying to act like she's Nicole or Megan trying to act like she's her cousin, <laughs> but, but really that it is Nicole who's knocking at the door and they should let me in. And the way that Prove does that is really, it's pretty cool. They've got this pro, we've got this pro methodology, which comes down to possession, reputation, and ownership. So possession, do I actually have the phone with me at the time? Reputation, has there been a SIM swap event in the last like 24 hours or in the last 30 minutes where someone has called Verizon acting like Nicole and saying, hey, I've got this new device, port my number over here, which is on the rise, right? So we would call that a SIM swap. And so we we can know that you have your phone, possession. We know that your phone hasn't been like recently, your number hasn't been ported recently, and then ownership, we know that you're the owner of your phone. So luckily for Megan, when she's going and doing this loyalty thing with her cousin, Prove isn't probably involved. And I do that too, right? Like I, I use my mom's number at, at the grocery store, helping her rack up the points while I save my money. But but in the and, and those are low value, right? The, the, they're fine with that. But as you get into more high value use cases where money's moving, accounts are opening, I'm taking out lines of credit. You got to make darn sure that it's me. I and mean, so that's really... That, that pro methodology and the magic that Prove has, that, that's pretty exciting. And then you talked a lot, Samir, I know we've talked about just low friction. It's not good enough to stop fraud. You have to, you have to also create great experiences for the... Most transactions are good, right? Most transactions are actually good people going to do things that they want to do. And so if you just design for the bad, you're going to like piss off all the good people, right? So... We have experiences, we have a great product we call Prefill. So when you go to sign up for an account, we can essentially prefill your data and your information. And what you're like, that's awesome. Like, I didn't have to go type all that stuff in. Thank you. But in the background, we're going and checking and we're checking your device. We're making sure this is you. We're checking all of that, that identity data. So while we're reducing fraud, we're also reducing friction. And that's part of like the magic that I love about, about Prove is that we're really focused on both of those things.
1: Nicole, thanks for sharing that. Do you guys track a bunch of different factors in terms of behavioral biometrics to get to that decision?
0: Yeah, good question. So we really don't like you can think about it as one of the examples I love is like, if you were to, to fly to like Guatemala this afternoon and and make a call, mm-hmm. your carrier lets you make the call. They don't start like running behavioral analysis on you, because you have this cryptographic you have your phone with you. And your phone and your, your carrier knows how to like connect that device. We're leveraging that same kind of cryptographic encryption on a device to literally know that it's your phone. So we don't have to layer in all of the behavioral. So like that watch purchase for $2,000 at two in the morning that you make from Guatemala, right? Like if we can verify that it's you on your phone, man, he just needed a watch at two in the morning. And and so that's, we can layer on top of that, right? So we have that pro methodology. We talk about it as deterministic, Yes, you can layer things on top of that. But yeah, that, that core methodology is, um, is literally based on, we know you have your phone.
1: Fantastic, Nicole. And if I understand correctly, carrier per- partnership is a very important aspect of how Prove works. So is Prove right now limited to United States or it's happening in
0: other countries as well? Yeah, no, great question. We're very much a global company. Our offering differs. So like there's just different, you know, either data restrictions, like a GDPR where we just we have different offerings and different solutions like that prefill is hard to navigate with uh, with those kind of data restrictions. But we are launching prefill in other countries later this year. And we can do a lot of what we'd call like mobile auth and a lot of our pro methodology globally.
1: Thank you, Nicole. Megan. I could ask Nicole tons of questions <laughs> about this. I'm a fraud and fintech nerd. I know, but I will pass the ball to you right now. Yeah, to ask him another question.
2: No, that's awesome. That's my favorite. That's my favorite when when you come up with other things. Feel free to do more of that. So fraud is of an evolving space, right? Where criminals are constantly finding new and creative ways to be fraudsters. So, how does Prove make sure that they're staying on top of it all?
0: Yeah, a no, great, great question. I mean, I, I think every which way we can is, is the right answer, right? So definitely lots of conversations with customers, customers across different industry, whether it be bank, fintech, gambling. You know, they're, you're you're totally right. Like fraudsters don't go away, right? They just, it's like squeezing jello, right? It it always finds a way and it, it goes, it'll find somewhere, and so conferences, talking to customers, we actually have dedicated teams who are out there looking for new account, new new fraud vectors, talking to customers. And also we have fraud teams who are investigating some of the things that we're seeing. You know, definitely some of the rising trends are around account takeover. So don't just come and grab my phone number, actually just take over my account. And that's where, you know, there's a lot of weakness with with password, right? And, mm-hmm. and just logging and using password. And, and so we're definitely trying to move us to more of a passwordless, leveraging something like a phone that if you want to steal a thousand logins, then you got to go sell a thousand phones rather than being able to just hack in and, and steal passwords. Def- synthetic fraud, right? Creating and manufacturing identities. And even a lot of bring-ins are concerned with first party fraud, right? And first party fraud is where I was like, oh, I didn't get that package or you know, I open up an account, and then I say, "Oh, I didn't open up an account. That wasn't me." So definitely a lot of different attack vectors that banks, that merchants, that fintechs, you know, com- companies are hearing about. And I think there's definitely value in companies like BGS, like Prove, who can sit at the center of all of that and help create, you know, threads across the different industries.
2: Yeah, and you keep mentioning mobile. Is Prove also on on the web, web based?
0: So Proof can start on the web, but we will always leverage the mobile phone. Okay. So, I mean, like a, a great example is Synchrony is one of our customers that, that we talk about. And if you go to Lowe's.com and you want to apply for a Lowe's card, we can, if you start on your computer, we can, you'll essentially put in a mobile number and we'll we'll text something to your phone. So we'll verify that you have that phone. We'll do our pro methodology and you can either finish on your phone or jump back to the screen. So we have ways of kind of, Going between devices, whether it's a tablet or a laptop, we will always engage the mobile phone because that's really our key.
1: Nicole, speaking of the broader industry that we operate in, fintech, we have had so much innovation over the last decade or so. What are the top fintech trends that are most interesting to you?
0: Yeah, great question. So we've been talking a lot Internally, and and I'm just seeing a a bunch more pop up around like verified credentials, right? And this idea that I can have, I can have a digital identity, and then I can tie my diploma, you know, maybe my where I've worked my work history, different attributes, maybe health health attributes about myself, Mm -hmm. and tie those credentials or tie those kind of attributes to an identity for use by potentially a future employer Or, you know, a a business, I could see, I don't know, I I keep signing my kids up for different sports, right? And, and so, you know, even just having to show their birth certificate over and over and over again, and having these kind of digitized credentials that you can verify and tie to an identity, I think is very, very interesting. And as we get more into digital space and living more and more of our lives digitally, that we'll need that kind of verified credential. But with anything like that, it becomes scary, right? Because how do you make sure that it is verified, Right. And mm-hmm. how do you make sure that this is from the University of Nebraska and that Samir really did graduate from there and really did get this degree and didn't just, you know, fake their credential. So as we get into that, I think it, it creates so much opportunity, but also risk. So we just have to continue to navigate it and make sure that the verified stays verified.
1: That's a fantastic one. Thank you for sharing it.
0: All right. Now we're going to get into some
2: less nerdy <laughs> It's all good. I say that with love, of course, and some fun stuff. So I'm going to ask you both. I would love hearing advice that people have been given throughout their careers. So we're going to go with the best and the worst because Nicole has a good worst advice story that we are dying to hear. So starting with Nicole, what is the best and worst career advice you've ever received?
0: Sure. So pretty early on, actually, I was a, Still in the lighting space as the optical engineer, but I, I had taken a role as like a technical sales manager. I was starting to make the journey into more of the sales side. and i I was riding down to like a site visit with one of our engineers, and she was actually transitioning from being a man, right? So she was on this journey to go from from male to female. and we were just chatting on our way down. and, It was such an insightful because she had, she had been in the workplace as a man and now had been in the workplace as a woman. And her, her partner was also a very successful female executive. And she just said, you know, as you find your way, and I'm two years out of college, right? So I'm just starting my journey. And, and she said, as you work through this all, be a woman. I see too many people work their way to the top, thinking they have to be a man and thinking they have to act like a man and have kind of manly attributes. We've got enough of those like go be a woman. And, and I, that just really stuck with me that, you know, I can, I can be vulnerable. I can be open, whatever that means to anybody. And I, and what I really took away from that was just, just be you. And I do, I strongly believe in that. I mean, one of the things I really focus on is just building teams. And as I build teams, I believe so much in diversity of thought. And in order to have that diversity of thought, like I need everyone to bring their authentic self and And so that just really stuck with me and and I came through different ways, but also just that you know don't think to make it to the top or climb the ladder. you have to act like something else, right? Do it as you because that's that's what you can that's how you can bring the most to the table. So I thought that was really great advice When I left that job to go start my own company was when I got the worst career advice, and I don't know that it was advice; it was a dig i I was walking out. And I, yeah, I decided to to move home, move into my parents' basement and start a company. And I had resigned. And I, and the owner of that company said, you're leaving the best opportunity you'll ever have. And I was just like, no, I'm not. And, and I, you know, that just, it was, it was, it could have, you know, if I wasn't so resolute in what I was about to do, it might've discouraged me, but I was very resolute and and I knew that great things were to come. And so I just think that, you know, there's a lot of learning there too, that, Not everyone's going to be your fan along the way. So you kind of got to figure out what to grab and put in your pocket and what to just throw on the floor and kick. And decided that one I would throw on the floor and kick. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: For sure. Well, and I think comments like that come from insecurity that someone else has. The fear that you might go and do bigger and better things somewhere else. Right. You know, or that they didn't have the guts to go and do what you're doing. Yeah. So... That's that's amazing. I love both of both of those. Both of those are are so awesome. Samir, what about you? You don't have to give a worse one either if you don't
1: want. It's hard to beat those. uh, If I think about (laughs) if if I think about if I have any worse advice that I've received, probably none. I've been incredibly fortunate over my lifetime to have fantastic mentors, fantastic folks supporting me. I do have a lot of best and good advices that I've got. I think the one that probably stands out to me more than any others is, uh, I think first year out of business school when I was at Amazon as an individual product manager, I had a senior leader come in one time. I was lost in the day-to-day hustle of things, just trying to ship products, trying to get things done every day. So he mentioned something really interesting to me, which still stuck to me to this day, is that organizations or bigger organizations, they will get the best out of you you will always have to watch out for yourself and you'll always have to make sure that you get the best out of an opportunity. You have to make sure that you're getting the best out of the opportunity so you can move your career forward. I think that always stuck with me. So whenever I look at work and I look at opportunities now, I always think about like, okay, well, this is what I bring to the organization, but this is what the organization brings to me as well. How can we make sure it's mutually beneficial?
2: Yeah, for sure. It's a two-way street. And I, I think sometimes employers lose sight of that too, right? We're interviewing each other to see if there's, a match. So like with any relationship, right? It's funny how we think about jobs as being something different than a a relationship, but they're just professional relationships, right? So I love that. Perfect. Okay. So our standing question we like to ask our guests, and it looks like we have time for Samir too. So if you have one, I'd love to hear yours as well. And Nicole, who's a person or a company out there that you're following that you think is making waves in fintech or payments?
0: Yeah, so I think Samira will be familiar with this, but I'm a big fan of Signified, and it's in the space of same space as Riskified. What I love about so Signified is in the merchant fraud space, but they they have like this guaranteed proposition, and it's around fraud. And and what I love about it is it's not just saying hey I'll stop your fraud, but they're saying, I'll increase your approval rates. And so I just think that so many times the cleverness within a product can be the way that you monetize it and take it to market, right? I mean, at its core, it's a fantastic machine learning model that 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 can help figure out like if a transaction is good or bad. But the way that they're taking it to market, guaranteeing the transactions and, and really taking the risk away for merchants, I think is extremely clever. And and I look to that and, and definitely been talking at Prove more and more about that. And just and I think we'll continue to see that, right, where rather than having companies pay for things and maintain the risk, where can you take the risk off of the table, right? And where can you kind of put your money where your mouth is from a monetization standpoint? I think there's so much cleverness in that. And yeah, so it's a company I'm watching. And also, I think just in kind of in general, a concept that I think is, is really interesting. Excellent. Samir,
2: what about you?
1: Uh, thank you, Nicole, for sharing Signify's name. I, I know that it does really well, and they are doing some fantastic job out there, like increasing approval rates and driving like, real dollar amounts Vince, for customers, right? That's what's really important. For me, I think uh, more in the payment space, I think I've loved over the last decade what Stripe has done to the payment space, right? I think that's a fantastic company to look out for. I do appreciate what Adyen has been doing as well, right? They both came in, right? Payments was a pretty... I would say dominated by really big industry players, right? They came in and they took the ecosystem head on and they have brought in some fantastic innovations and overall improvement in authorization, decreases in costs as well. So I'm looking forward to see what else is coming out in the payments ecosystem. I'm hoping some newer companies come in and there's probably hopefully newer challenges that comes in at one point to the rails as well, Visa and MasterCard.
2: (laughs) I'm always cheering for the little guy. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. The, the startup underdog um, who makes it is super special. Of course, Nicole, you got to experience that yourself firsthand. So that's pretty rad. Well, friends, this has been such a lovely conversation. I appreciate you both. Thank you, Nicole, for, for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you, Nicole.
2: Yeah, and thanks, Samir, for being my, my partner on this one alright friends we are so happy to be in season 2 with Descoped if you have enjoyed the show we would appreciate it if you would share it with someone in the industry who you think would get value from it alright thanks so much for joining us and we will catch you
0: next time thanks for tuning in to Descoped the payment security podcast from VGS for more insights practical advice and the latest trends in payment security Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or check us out at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.